We're going to continue in a series in the book of Philippians, and not once have I, I said Philippines, which I'm really impressed with myself that I haven't done that. But uh, we are talking about Philippians chapter 4 today. That's where we're at. And we're going to continue on with Paul's writing. Now, remember, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi from jail. And this is the only letter that he wrote to a church where he wasn't writing in response to either bad doctrine or bad behavior. The church of Philippi had their act together. They were doing a really good job serving the Lord and, and being the kind of Christians they should be. But he's writing to them to encourage them to keep going, keep going, keep going, no matter what. And so we're going to talk about that today. Today we're going to talk about thinking on the praiseworthy things of God. Now, uh, there were three monks that are, well, not three, but there were monks at a remote monastery deep in the woods, and they followed this really rigid vow of silence. Their vow could only be broken once a year on Christmas by one monk. And that monk could speak only one sentence. So one Christmas, Brother Thomas had his turn to speak, and he said, I love the delightful mashed potatoes we have every year with the Christmas roast. Then he sat down, silence, for another 364 days. The next Christmas, Brother Michael got his turn and he said, I think the mashed potatoes are lumpy and I truly despise them. Once again, silence ensued for 364 days. The following Christmas, Brother Paul rose and he said, you know, I'm fed up with this constant bickering. Think through it a minute. It'll, it'll, get, it'll catch up, okay? L listen, folks, if that's the only bickering we had, that'd be awesome. But listen, peace in our hearts and minds is kind of a little elusive to us at times because we live in such a crazy, mixed-up world. Today we're going to see that God is giving us kind of a recipe to have peaceful relationships and peaceful minds and hearts by focusing on the good things in life rather than being caught up in worry and fear and the things that would steal our joy. So let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there are several principles that Paul points out in this passage, and I want to really just hone in on four of them here. And the first one is this, strive for spiritual unity. Strive for spiritual unity. Now, there's two ladies in the church at Philippi, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, that have some kind of problem between them. 
I, I believe it's probably who ha- they're debating on who has the worst name. That's what I think they're really talking about. And they're probably having a terrible argument about that. Uh, but, but we don't really know what the problem is, but we do see that they have a problem. Let's look, look again at verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowns. So he's, he's telling them how much he loves them. Then he says, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, uh, the reality is uh, these are good women. But we'll talk more about them in a minute. First, I want to I talk about what Paul says here in this beginning of this. Now remember, all of the chapters and all of the verse, all the numbering of these letters happened uh, centuries after this letter was written. So when Paul says, uh, uh, stand firm in the Lord, I've just, he's just been talking about several principles that we've gone over last week and the week before and the week before. And if you missed those, you can go to our website at fogkc.com and hear those. But here he's saying, listen, it's important to stand firm in the Lord. Now first, you have to be in the Lord before you can stand firm in the Lord. And of course, he's writing to the church and he's assuming that they are believers. But folks, I want to encourage you. What we're going to talk about today, about getting this kind of deep peace in your life, cannot be found apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. First, you must be in the Lord. That means you have to realize you're a sinner. You have to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins and trust him and him alone to save you. Once you are in the Lord, now Paul's saying, stand firm in him. Don't be moved. Don't be moved. On May 7th, 1915, the RMS Lusitania, a British ocean liner, was struck by a torpedo from a German submarine. The ship sank in a matter of minutes, killing 1,198 of the 1,959 passengers aboard. In her book, Lusitania, an Epic Tragedy, Diana Preston recorded the observations of one of the passengers, a bookseller named uh, Charles Laureate. As the ship was sinking and as Laureate looked around to see who needed life jackets, jackets, he noticed that among the crowds now pouring on deck, nearly everyone who passed by him that was wearing a life jacket had it on incorrectly. In his panic, one man had thrust his arm through an armhole and his head through the other. Others rushed past wearing their life jacket upside down. No one had read the little signs around the ship telling people how to put them on. Laureate tried to help some, but they thought he was trying to take their life jackets away from them and they fled away in terror. Preston continues, quote, Dead and drowning people were dotting the sea like seagulls. Many bodies were floating upside down because people had put their life jackets on the wrong way so that their heads were pushed under the water even by their life jackets. Folks, that describes how some people, some people that I know, uh, instead of letting the Lord help them in their trouble, they flee from him. And they try to save themselves. They try to work these things out for themselves. And then they wonder why they're drowning in life. They wonder why they're drowning in their circumstances. Folks, you just can't be saved from those things apart from Christ. 
So first, know him by giving your life to him. And second, stand firm in him by not moving from the precepts that the Bible teaches. Now, after Paul tells him to stand firm in the Lord, he says, hey, help Euodia and Syntyche work out their issue. Again, we don't know what the issue was, but we do know that the whole church knew about it. I mean, think about it. Paul's not outing them here, okay? This isn't some private little thing behind closed doors and, and Paul's now announcing it to the whole church because he's writing the letter to the church. In fact, we're not even really sure who the true companion is that he's asking to help them with their problem. But some kind of issue between these two ladies is going on and it's known uh, to the whole church and now it probably is beginning to affect the whole church. And Paul's saying, guys, help them. These are good people. They've served with me. They've been faithful. They're good women, but they're just banging heads for some reason. Now, as we were taking the Lord's Supper this morning, I was thinking, you know, I hope nobody in our church, I hope nobody in our church is saying, well, I gotta, I gotta wait and see which table Susie goes to because I don't want to be at the same table she's at. I hope nobody's doing anything like that or thinking that way. But folks, if you are, fix it. Fix it. And spiritual unity doesn't mean agreement in everything. But what it does mean is we can agree to be disagreeable in this. Not disagreeable, we can agree to disagree, not be disagreeable. Okay? Uh, next week, we're going to show you um, a video of what we believe God is going to lead Fellowship of Grace to do over the next three years. And you're going to see... Uh, a, a video, we're going to walk into our new uh, children's ministry area. You're going to walk into our new cafe lobby area. It's going to blow your mind. And God help us if somebody says, you know, I just think that I can go to this church anymore if they have those, those kind of tiles. If they're going to do the floor like that, I, I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't think I should go to church here anymore. Hopefully nobody will think like that, folks. I don't think that's a big problem in our church, but we got to be careful we don't become like these two really good women that have some kind of disagreement that now just affects the whole church. Sometimes people get focused on form and function and really personal preferences more than anything else rather than they do mission and vision. Now, if next week you say, hey, listen, I, I'm, you're talking about winning people to Jesus. I don't want to do that. I want our church to stay the same size it is. I don't want to win any more people. we got enough people. If we're off on our mission, this you know, probably isn't the right church for you. But, but on the little things, man, we got to just be okay with, with disagreeing on those things. You know what I'm saying? Now, some of you, this is kind of your church first, uh, first church experience, and you kind of laugh at that kind of stuff. But I have been in some knockdown, drag-out meetings where uh, people are ready to like, take each other's heads off uh, because of the, the envelope supplier we're going to hire you know, to print the envelopes or something really goofy or stupid like that. So, so, folks, I just want us to see here, we need to, we need to continue to go for spiritual unity. doesn't mean we agree in everything, but it does mean at the end of the day, we can all get on the same page with our mission and our vision and say, this is what God as a group is leading us to do. And Paul says, help them with it. Now, my goal, my, my dream would be that everybody works out your own personal issues, and by the way, if you ever come to me or one of the pastor staff or one of the leaders of our church and you say, hey, Pastor Michael, Susie really did me wrong. She began, she did, let me just tell you what she did. I'm going to say, hang on, have you talked to Susie yet? And if you say, no, I haven't, I'm going to say, we got nothing more to talk about. You go talk to Susie and try to make it right. And if that doesn't work, then you come back and talk to me and I'll go with you. We'll talk to her. Okay? 
But, but the bottom line is, folks, we've got to work these things out. And if they become big enough ever to start affecting the spiritual unity of our church, we have to get involved in that. We are not a church that will ignore those things. There are churches where the leadership is too scared and too... I just don't... I, I'm trying to find a word that's not really bad. They're just too uh, lame as leaders to care about the spiritual health of their church, and so they let it happen. And they just pray in a back room somewhere that, that it'll work out. Well, we're going to pray, but we're going to help you work it out too, okay? So, so if you have those kind of problems with somebody, folks, just go and make them right. I will tell you that 90% of the time, those are because of somebody's miscommunicated something or somebody's misunderstood something. And you're going to find out you're really not as far off as you think you are, all right? So Paul's saying first do that. Then... He says, worry and thanksgiving are in opposition to each other. Worry and, oppos- and, uh, and uh, thanksgiving are in opposition to one another. Look what he says in uh, verses 4 through 6. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, it's hard to maintain personal conflict with somebody when you're truly rejoicing in the Lord. Now, Paul says rejoice in the Lord, and then he says something interesting. He says, and again, I will say rejoice. Now, there's a very interesting thing when you're reading God's word. Anytime God repeats something, he's emphasizing it. Uh, Repetition is kind of God's highlighter. Okay, so anytime you see uh, in God's word, it says something, and then in the next verse or the next verse, it says the same exact thing. God's going, okay, I know you're all a little stubborn, a little hard-headed. I'm going to highlight this for you. I'm going to keep repeating it so you get it. Paul's saying, look, folks, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'm going to say it, rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, he's saying rejoice no matter what's going on. Sounds like a... A statement of nonsense, doesn't it? Hey, I don't care what's going on. Hey, if you just lost your job, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, you just got a bad report from the doctor, rejoice in the Lord. Sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? But then he goes on to actually tell us how to do it. So you want to you you have peace in your life? You want to be able to rejoice in the Lord? There's a two-step process. One, don't worry. Don't worry. And two, be thankful. It'll go a long way to bringing about peace in your life if you'll just stop worrying so much and be more thankful. Trust me. Trust me. Our action point at this, at this juncture is to be thankful. Be thankful. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I, you know, I was raised as a worrier. My mom was a worrier. She taught me how to worry. It's something I do. It's something I, you know. Listen, folks, I, I, I'll keep saying this until Jesus comes, but... If you could show me how worrying about something actually changes the outcome of something, we'll do a worrying seminar, okay? We'll teach you how to worry, okay? But, but two things. One, it never changes the outcome of anything. And two, I think like 97 or 98% of everything we ever worry about never actually happens. How many of you in this room have ever been worried that the plane you're on is going to crash. Let me see your hand. Raise it up high. Nobody has ever worried about that but me? Okay. All right, put your hands down. How many of you have actually been in a plane crash? See? 
Now, I can, I can go through a list of 100 things. How many of you have been worried about this? Half or more, raise your hands. How many of you have actually experienced that? Maybe one. See, folks, worrying is really a lack of trusting God. It's saying, God, I don't trust you with the future. I don't trust you with the outcome. So I'm going to spend my time and energy and effort thinking about it for you so I can help you with it. And what Paul's saying is here, worry and thanksgiving cannot coexist in our minds and our hearts. I can tell you, don't worry, but you won't do that. Because it's kind of like when you're told, hey, don't think of something. Hey, don't think of that song. Oh, man, it's playing in my head now. I can't get it out, right? <laughs> don't think about this. Oh, that's all I can think about now. Okay, so if I say don't worry, all you're going to go is don't worry, but I should be worried about this. I'm worried about that. Worried about that. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you not to worry in a sense. What I'm going to do is tell you what to fill your mind and your heart up with instead, and that's thankfulness. Because you know what? If you're focused on being thankful for all the things that God has done for you, you can't worry. Because every time I'm thankful about something, I'm like, wow, God, I'm really thankful for this. Well, there's your faithfulness again. I'm really thankful for this. Well, there you go, blessing me again. I'm really thankful for this. Okay, chalk another one up for you, God. Okay, okay, okay. Well, the score is 45, 45 billion to zero of times you've disappointed my life, God. Why in the world would I worry about anything? Because he's always been faithful to me. He hasn't always given me what I want, but he's always been good to me. And he's always been faithful to me. And so Paul's saying here, folks, listen, worry and thanksgiving are in opposition. Since you can't stop worrying, really, I want you to, but since we really don't, can't, we can't make ourselves do it, spend your time being thankful because that will just push the worry out of your life, folks. And by the way, I've, I've said this to people before, and they've said, I just don't know what to be thankful for. Really? If you don't know what to be thankful for, come and talk to me for about two minutes. I'll give you a list of about 100 things. Boom. Right, well, I mean, one right after another. Man, God has been so good to us, folks. And we, we just don't see it. But we need to. We need to. If you're consumed with worry, spend your time being thankful and writing those things down. I'm telling you, when I started writing down, it was probably 15 years ago now, on one Thanksgiving, I was challenged to write down uh, things that I'm thankful for. I've got a notebook. I don't even know where it is anymore. I know I still got it somewhere in my office. Uh, but I've got this notebook, and it's completely filled with just lists of things I'm thankful for because I just kept adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And when you not only think about the things God has done for you, but the things he's protected you from, that it just, it just, it's just unending, folks. It's unending. So, so be thankful. Now, our action point is to stop worrying and be thankful, but now God has an action point. God's action point is that God guards our hearts and minds. In Philippians 4.7, Paul says this, and the peace of God, okay, just what you've done, stop worrying, instead be thankful, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First, he says, this surpasses all under cool and so awesome. I can't even explain it very well because it's so incredible. It's beyond words. But what he says is, God is the one who will guard our hearts and our minds from being eaten up by worry from the enemy if we will just quit worrying and be thankful. Be thankful. Um, listen, tr stop trying to run the universe, folks. I, I know... Uh, it's, it's hard not to do that sometimes. 
But so many of you worry about things that just, they're just never going to happen. And, and it causes all kinds of problems in your life. And so I want to really encourage you to stop worrying about those things. Let God protect you. Listen, it's not up to us to guard our hearts and our minds. I think this is where I slip into the meddling part, okay? Uh, it's, it, God wants to do that for us. If we will stop worrying and we will become thankful people, God will protect us. Now listen, I, uh, please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. These are the times when Derek, Pastor Derek cautions me and says, oh, be careful what you say, Michael. It doesn't come out sometimes. Okay, uh, listen, I know that there are, as many people as we have in this room, there are some, probably some people in this room that, that do have some kind of a chemical issue in their brain that they need some kind of medication for. I understand that. I acknowledge that. But when I look at the vast number of people in our culture who are having to take medication to just cope with life, folks, there's a problem in our culture. Doctors are giving people those things because they don't know what else to do. Our spiritual issues and people are eaten up with worry and distrust in God and they get all wrapped up in things and they give themselves ulcers and they have physical problems and they have real serious health problems because they've just consumed themselves with worry. God is saying, I want to give you a sound mind and a sound heart and I will guard it for you. I will guard it for you if you will stop worrying and be thankful. Now, God has been faithful to me my whole life. He'll be faithful to you too. Try it, and I trust that your life will be different. Then finally, he says, think and focus on the praiseworthy things of God. Think and focus on the praiseworthy things of God. Look in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God, we have to focus our hearts and minds on the good things of God that he's placed in our lives. You know, perspective is so critical. We just have a tendency to uh, be negative people sometimes and get our perspective all out of whack. Ron Blue, in his book, uh, Faith-Based Family Finances, he tells a story about a father of a very wealthy family who took his son on a trip to the country to show his son how poor people lived. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm and what would be considered a very poor family. And then on the return trip, uh, the father asked his son this question. Hey, how what'd you think of the trip? How'd you like the trip? He said, it was great, Dad. He said, now, did you see how poor people can be? The father asked. Oh, yeah, said the son. Father said, so what did you learn from the trip, son? The son answered, well, I saw that we have only one dog, and they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that doesn't ever end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have stars at night that I've never seen so bright. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they see the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go way beyond your sight. We buy our food, but they grow their own. We have walls around our property to protect us, 
but they have their friends and neighbors to protect them. With this, the boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, thanks, Dad. Interesting perspective, isn't it? See, our perspective determines a lot, folks. And if you want to live a life where you eat up your lunch by just worrying about stuff you can't control all the time, not even God will stop you. I can't stop you. I'd love to. But folks, if you want to be free of all that stuff, think on the things that God is telling us to think on. I don't think that's the lesson that the uh, wealthy father wanted his son to learn, but it certainly does raise uh, that important point that perspective is important. When you focus on the negatives, even, even those with great wealth can feel very poor. However, when you focus on the positives, those who are very poor can discover that they're really very rich. Now, what I'm not talking about here is just positive thinking. Folks, I'm not talking about just, oh, I'm just going to have positive thinking, positive way of life. I'm just going to be naive and think everything's going to be positive. No, no, no. What I'm talking about is an incredible understanding that, that trusting God will change my life. It will change the way that I deal with life. I have a... Uh, I have a great nephew that is uh, adopted from Ethiopia. He's not quite three. And um, uh, he's got Down syndrome. He's got a lot of other health problems. And uh, he's been in the hospital for the last couple of weeks with a lot of complications from getting your tonsils out. He's got a bad infection now. Now he's got pneumonia. And uh, Wednesday, um, he had a really bad day. And it looked like it wasn't going to turn out very well. So Julie and I went to the hospital. And we sat with his mom. And we talked to her just about the situation. And she said, you know, it would be really easy to just focus on how bad this is and, you know, how this could really go bad. And I feel like it's important for me to face reality. She said, but but I, I can't help but think of just all the good things he's brought to our life. I can't help but be thankful that God put him in our family. I can't help but be thankful that we got him. I mean, a, a, a baby in Ethiopia with Down syndrome would basically wouldn't even qualify for an orphanage. They, that child would be a throwaway child. She sat there and for probably 15 or 20 minutes just talked about how thankful she was with this baby who might not make it. Now, thank the Lord, he, he got, he's, he's, he's making some progress now. But that was a great lesson for me, to sit there and listen to her talk about how thankful she was that God has blessed her so much. And that perspective just changes the whole way she deals with that part of life. Yes, he's still sick. Yes, it's still bad. Yes, he's still got down. I mean, the situation did not change one iota based on her perspective, but it sure changed her. And it sure changed the way that she's dealing with that part of life. Folks, I want you to deal with life that way. If we focus on all the bad stuff all the time, man, we're going to have just a really fearful and cynical perspective on the whole world and even, probably even our own lives. But if we'll focus on what's good and just and pure and lovely we will have a whole different perspective and therefore a different mind and a different heart and God will guard it. Yeah? 
We live in a crazy, mixed-up world, and it seems like it's spinning out of control a lot of the time. We, we've got stressed-out relationships. We've got worry and doubt filling up our lives and causing us a lack of sleep and ulcers and all that stuff. Folks, I'm convinced that God wants us to live differently. He wants us to focus on the ways that he has blessed our lives so that we can experience peace. But the only way we're going to be able to do that, the only way we're going to be able to do that is to focus on the praiseworthy things of God no matter what. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, we focus on the good things of God and be thankful for his thousands, ten thousands, hundreds thousands of ways he's blessed our lives instead of all the things we can't answer. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. God, forgive us for the times that we have lacked faith to trust you, for the times that we felt like our worry would somehow change things. God, help us to be more faithful. Help us to be more thankful. God, bring to our minds and our hearts just the, the hundreds of ways you've blessed us. Help us even today to focus on those things. Maybe even sit around our dining room table at lunch and, and just keep going around the table of things you're thankful for. When we pray before a meal, it just seems so tiny and so slight. But God, help us to not take you for granted, but to recognize your incredible blessing on our lives. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who gave his body and gave his blood to pay for our sins. Thank you for a way to connect with you through faith in him. We are so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Help us now to be the people you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.